Hello, this is Neo Realist, and this will be my first episode for my podcast. And this one is going to be an introduction to what Neo Realism, Realism, Realpolitik, what those concepts mean, and why they are so important, in my opinion, in applying them and for methods of approach when looking at international and domestic politics. The re- what Neo Realism is, is Self-explanatory. It is in the 21st century applying realist principles, which is prioritizing national interests on when commit when doing global foreign policy or or other many sorts of domestic policy. It is putting your national interests firmly at top priority, and overall. Not trying to idealistically change the world or using some ideological basis to assert superiority or to gain influence or soft power. It is purely going on basis of hard power, economy, and political and cultural basis on how to make your country stronger, stronger. And have your people live more prosperous lives. That is basically what neo-realism is in a nutshell. Realpolitik is the application of basically realist principles. Where Bismarck famously said, "You, you gotta use iron. You gotta have like an iron fist to push through that. So you gotta basically assert your strength. Do what you gotta do to make your country stronger. That's all that matters." It is very similar to Machiavellian principles, where, where he said you gotta do any, everything you gotta do for power. Now here's the thing, whenever people hear about realpolitik, neorealism, or Machiavelli, people think of a very cold-hearted, or selfish, petty, or cruel form of a political system or people. Machiavelli is seen as cruel because of his famous book, The Prince. Where he basically said, you gotta do everything for power, kill, beat up, or do whatever. <laughs> do what you gotta do for power. Here's the thing people miss out, because they just look at the prince, which is mostly based on Cesaro Borgia, which is basically a gift to this kind of monarchical figure that controlled Florence at the time, and he wanted power, so it was kind of like an application and to kind of advocate and to persuade Shashado Boja to use him as a, in government. So it doesn't really show exactly what Machiavelli's views of the political system is. It shows partly, but using the prince to kind of generalize his views is very inaccurate. What Machiavelli really meant, because he is a very democratic person, he believes in a democ- democracy, which Florence had until the Medici came to power and he tried to adjust to that reality to gain power and be in government. What he is, is that he is saying people, the people, the general populace, got to do what they got to do whether it be kill, whether it be cause violence, or use any strategical means necessary for them to gain power and not let the elites just control them. 
in my opinion, one of the greatest examples of application of Machiavellian principles is the French Revolution, where the monarchs, the clergies, and the nobles, the first and second estate, had control of the French system for almost over a thousand years, and they have continued to oppress the people. And there comes a point where the people realized it is no longer in their best interest to let the elites maintain their power. It is about time they have power for themselves. So the French Revolution is one of those examples. It was pretty brutal, it was pretty violent, and and to a certain degree went overboard, but it was one of the instances where people used the powers and the resources they had at their disposal to accrue power and take it back from the elites because it didn't serve their interests. If the elites did, there was no reason for the people to start a revolution because they were doing just fine in their perspective. That was what Machiavelli said. If it didn't help you, if the people aren't prosperous, if the system isn't allowing for democracy or any sorts of ways you gain representation where the elites are just so out of touch and out of distance from representing the people's interests, you've got to do what you got to do, no matter how brutal it be, to take your power back from them. Why? Because those elites do not have your good in mind. They are not the best option for you in power for you to live a better and a prosperous life and so if you look at it that way Machiavelli was not a cruel person he was a very democratic form of person focusing on how people could live the best lives he is not he wants the people to take power with their hands with the grasp when necessary when not they could do what they gotta do, but when they have to, which is what he used of Vidutu and Fortuna. Because Fortuna is the goddess of luck, where just kind of every, where the theory is, is everything is kind of luck based. The world is unpredictable, so you kind of have to be lucky to live a better life. But at a certain point, Vidutu, which means virtue, with your virtues, you use your strength and power to change fate that has been set by Fortuna and change your fortune with your actions and change your fate. That is what Machiavelli was trying to say. He was actually trying to bring a hopeful message to the people, saying, you know, you can do this. So that's what Machiavelli meant with kind of realist principles. It means you do what you got to do. But it is not an inhumane principle at all. It is primarily focused on how to make people live the best lives they could. So let's go to then Bismarck, because he is also a politician that I personally really respect and think one of, is one of the greatest leaders in history in the perspective of Germany. Because national interests are, you, can't, you can think that person did a lot of bad things, but the reality is, is countries got to put their people at top priority. For example, Winston Churchill is admired in British as one of as perhaps one of the greatest prime ministers in British history because he is a, he did pull Britain out of one of the worst crises in America in British history, World War Two, from the threat of the Nazis. So he was a great leader. And no one is going to deny in from the way British see it, he was a great leader. 
But in the Indian's perspective, Churchill is more evil and worse of a human being than Adolf Hitler. Because Churchill were saying very arrogant and very mean things to the Indians, saying they're not capable of running their own government. They should be thankful that the British are, con- are is controlling them because they're incompetent and they're they're just gonna destroy them, to, to destroy each other if we let them go. So they, so us, our presence is helpful. So basically, he was basically saying the colonial, the imperial presence of Britain in India was a good thing. So in so in Indian's perspective, he's they're not gonna like Churchill. Probably they're gonna hate him more than Hitler. But in realists, you got to see it in your people's perspective. Churchill was a good leader for British. For Indians, he wasn't. And that's how you judge your leaders. So in, so when I talk about Bismarck for the French, or the Franco-Prussian War, so he was a very bad enemy and a leader. But in the German leader's perspective, German people's perspective, Bismarck was a great leader. So let's get to Bismarck. When people think about Bismarck, people tend to think that Bismarck is just some, like a very hawkish general who believes in realpolitik because of that Kaiser head and that militaristic elitist kind of pictures we have of Bismarck. Cause, so people think he's like a very aggressive, cool, iron fist guy. So they don't really take light of his, really, as a person and they just have a very kind of bad image of him. But that's not true at all, like what I said about Machiavelli. He was acting in the best interest of Germany. So let me give you what his the, what his background was. His background was, was that Germany was in the right timing, right now in the 1800s, to be unified under Prussia. If you've seen German history before Prussia, before 1860, before 1860, Germany has never been unified. They have always been divided. They have always been used by the French Empire, the Habsburgs, the Spanish Empire, sometimes the British, the Italians, the Roman Empire. They have always been kind of used as a territorial ground, middle ground where they have been divided, has been a kind of a war zone or a battle zone, and they've always kind of fought among themselves back and forth, back and forth. And so their people have never had really been prosperous lives while the French and the Spanish and the Italians they lived great lives and the Habsburgs kind of benefited from this kind of Germany being divided the Germanic or Germanic people didn't really do so because they kept they were always in battle they were always weak they were always the weak kind of being abused or being utilized as a tool by the empires so they were always in the weak and they were always subject to abuse so so for germans they lived they didn't live for a very good long time after charlemagne this is the one that charlemagne created that created the empire and partly that was a period when it's the germans kind of shined and had a period of prosper and stability other than that for the past 800 years from 1000 to 1800 they have never been the strong. They have never had a stable political system nor an economic system that keeps them sustainable and strong. So, because they were always weak and divided and, and subject to abuse 
by other stronger countries. So Bismarck saw that for German for Germans to live better lives, they need to have a strong country. They need to have strong power and a strong system where the other countries can't mess with Germany as they've been, as they have for like the past hundreds of years. So he realized unifying the German people, Germany was his top priority to assert strength and and actually unify the German people instead of being subject to division or subject to division or all sorts of like kind of strategical targeting by other countries for their own advantage contrary to the German people. So he went on a massive campaign to unify because Prussia was very, very powerful, their military, because the one big advantage Prussia had over other countries in Europe was military. Their military was probably the most powerful was the most powerful there other than Britain's. So he took advantage of that and with the various alliances he unified Germany. Was it brutal? Was it kind of very straightforward and sometimes cruel? Yes. But he did not do this on a basis on a context of just kind of being a hawkish guy who wants to expand the German Empire. He did this to basically protect the German people and assert German strength in order for the German people to live prosperous lives and do that because the, the French, Austrians, Italians, they all have been abusing them. So it wasn't a vengeance thing either. It was just to gain power. So it was a bit aggressive, but he realized it would, that was the best way in their national interest. So, so that's all the, all the Bismarck we know. The Bismarck that invaded and unified Germany. So let's see the other side of Bismarck. Because this is also where Realpolitik and our fist, do what you gotta do to get the people live better lives, applies. Bismarck is an ultra conservative, ultra elitist, and an all, uh, that represents the Junkers and the monarchy and the nobility within Prussia. That's what his system was, his government, his bureaucracy. That's what it consisted of. But here's the thing, he was the man that passed universal health care in, in Germany. He also reduced working hours in Germany when they were living, when they were working 16, 18 hours a day. He reduced that almost by, I think, by half. He, he instituted a lot of welfare, welfare programs for the working class. You know, that doesn't really fit his image. He sounds like he looks like an ultra-conservative elitist. So what we should think of, so people obviously think he cracked down and beat up workers and just supported the elites against them and yada, yada, yada. So why did he do it? He's a, he's a realpolitik cruel guy. Realpolitik cruel, aggressive, elitist figure. This is also, this, these, these welfare policies and liberal kind of socialist policies, applying them, uh, the application of liberal socialist policies, are also part of realpolitik. Because it was strategically the right move for Bismarck to make for Germany. Because during when he was in power, communism was on the rise. Because of the oppressive and kind of abusive nature of capitalism, where workers are subject to kind of subject to all sorts of manipulation, cheating, lying, and abuse by the corporations and the system in no way kind of defends the working class and also 
through capitalism there is the rise of imperialism and colonialism and working people die there's the population rising but there is no program to kind of help those new born people that are living very poor lives in cities that are just disgusting with very poor hygiene with very poor hygiene and and a very bad working environment with the, where they go in where they go inside mine without much protective gear nor to, nor a mask nor not stuff like a mask to kind of lit and all that so kid so kids they get all sorts of illnesses or body cancer when they're young because of all the toxic air that they put in their lungs as a result of industrialization there are all sorts of these excesses of capitalism obviously industrialization and capitalism make no doubt has been positive it, it brought a system where people can gain ec- economic power and money as a as an economic bartering system so they could gain certain sorts of autonomy over their elites and people and where it's a system where the higher an opportunity for the working class and people in the lower middle class to go up in the hierarchy to challenge the nobles and the elites so without a doubt the capitalism had its goods but it also had these very cruel excesses where the working class and many of the people living under the industrial environment were not happy so communism was the revolutionary ideology set out back then very popular for justifiable reasons as i mentioned previously that prevailed and was prominent all across europe to resist existing order so many of the countries especially the elites hate communism because it's about a revolution replacing and killing the elites so they use oppressive tactics crush them bash them crack down on them through the military and find those find these movements expose them put spies in there and just destroy them that's the typical strategy that has been applied and just ignore the working basically ignore the voices of communism and ignore the figure out bismarck had a different approach he actually listened and tried to see why so much of the working class were appealed to communism it was just about absolute equality it's about a utopian ideology that didn't make any sense it just it's just not realistic and it doesn't seem to help the germany the german economy or the german people in any way so he did under so he came, so he tried to figure out why the germ what the german working class so many of them were so attracted to communism that they were all there were always violence and so many or countless number of organizations socialist anarchist communist related organizations all across germany that's causing so much chaos in the German system. So he realized cracking down on them isn't going to work. He realized he got to listen to them and f- bring an alternative solution that appeals to the working class so they won't be attracted to socialism and communism. And that was he realized oh there wasn't enough social programs and the and the industrial environment was just so toxic and abusive that the workers are angry and moved to co- move to communism and socialism so he realized okay then i got to so bismarck 
I told you, realpolitik is not about conservative or liberal. It's about what is in the best interest of the people. And you do what you need to do. Realpolitik is looking at the situation realistically and strategically creating the best measures for your people and your country. That is what realpolitik is. So, he figured, okay, I, so oppressing them isn't so just bashing them and just disbanding communist organizations, cracking them down with the use of military or police isn't going to work. I got to get rid of the incentive. That is why he passed universal health care, reduced working hours, tried to put in some regulations against the industrial environment, gave the working class more power as a leverage against the capitalist elites, against the industrials, so they can have more compromise and represent and have some vote representation of the voices of the industrial of the working class so that they could create a more balanced environment of capitalism where it's just not too favored just to the businesses and the elites and the new entrepreneurs and the companies but also have more balance in representing the interests of the working class so he put out he put a balanced system he he balanced distribution of wealth and representation through this system. So, because he put this, Germany didn't become a communist state. I mean, Soviet Union invaded and then it was artificially split. But since the 1860s until the 1940s, they they didn't have communism. Why? Because Bismarck got rid of of the incentive for the working class to do that. So the working class look at it and it's like, you know, the reason I went to communism it's because the government in no way was representing my interests, my voice at all. So, to hell with them. I'm going to go for a revolution. That is why I support communism. But since Bismarck is starting to represent their interests and actually listening to what their problems are, they have no reason to go to communism. The government is working and the government is actually functioning in a way that represents their interests. So there is no incentive for the populace to go to communism or these extreme ideologies to get their voices heard. It worked. So commun- the communist movement and the socialist movement dissipated like that. It just disappeared. And it moved on. Like, on the contrary, let's look at Russia. Russia had the surf, surf, as a serfdom, as an oppressive monarchy, they had communist revolutions all over the place. It was chaotic. So let's see how the Romanovs responded to the commun- to the rise in communist, socialist, democratic, and all sorts of alternative political movements designed to replace the German system. He, the monarch, the Romanovs, cracked down on them. They cracked down on them in a very, very aggressive way. They didn't listen to their voices at all. They kept the system. They created the Duma in pretending that they represent the system. The Tsar is kind of trying to create a democratic system, but the Duma was basically non-existent, and they just basically disappeared afterwards because the Tsar had no intention to represent them. So, so the Ketting, so the Ketting pot, Ketting continued to boil, and there was no way for the no way to lower the temperature and the tension whatsoever because the czar and the elites didn't give them any alternatives or any sorts of other vacuums or venues where the people are like people can go to to think the government is still functioning at the best of my interests so what do they do they do as you know, they became a communist state. Ultimately, they failed, so the communists came to power. Came to power. When you want 
when you ignore the people's interests, as I've said, realism and Machiavellian principles is all about the people grabbing the power, using the losing their power via two to change their fates. The, the Russian people, first in the Marshall Revolution, used the fortune, used their via two, used their strength to change their fate from being oppressed by these czars that don't listen to them at all and start the revolution. This goes along against realist principle. When you're, when the people are not living happy and prosperous lives and when the current system doesn't have their best in mind, then you replace them and get rid of them. That is what realism and Machiavellian principles are about. Alternatively, Bismarck knew that's what the world works. That's how the world works. So he used realpolitik principles on preventing a revolution, renting this principle of replacing the elites with because the people, because the government isn't responding to them by responding and actually representing the people's interests at a time of crisis like the communist period, like the rise of communism during this period. This, this different, fundamentally different approach from Bismarck and the Tsar Nicholas is, shows how one leads to, one fails and leads to a revolution and one doesn't. That is what realism is about. That is what the realist principles are about. It is not inhumane or cruel or backsided or old at all. It, this is about human nature. If you do not have your interests in mind, your best interests, then it doesn't work. Then it doesn't work. Let me just bring another example. Theodore Roosevelt was also the same case as Otto von Bismarck. Yes, he was very infamous for being an imperialist, but and I'm not here to defend imperialism in any way whatsoever, because imperialism was an evil system that must be condemned and was a very cruel way to treat its work, treat its natives and their people, and it was trying to get rid of their culture, which was very cruel and abusive. I'm not here to defend it. But in terms of national interest, when imperialism was on the rise and the British and the French were gaining power as a result of it, and the United States needed some way of economic growth and prosperity and their lands have all been taken over because they all the western frontier has been all been occupied but has all been taken now by the people in 1896 they needed new lands new territory new areas new markets to expand american power in america and i'm not here to say that was a good thing but but based on the American people's interest, TR expanded imperialism. He did the Contra Taft to take over the Philippines. He went, he intervened in China. He intervened in all sorts of places to gain U.S. power so that we can resist against the British, the French, the Germans, and all these other world powers that may threaten and abuse them, abuse the United States if they're weak. So imperialism, morally bad, but in terms of just pure national interest, again, in, within this unfortunate environment where imperialism was inevitable for us, for countries to accrue power so that they're not subject to abuse by stronger countries, TR had to do imperialism and expand American power. So that was also a realpolitik principle. So if you just look at the imperialist nature, realpolitik looks bad. But let's also look at what real TR was. He was a trust buster. He crushed, come, he broke up monopolies. He 
fought against him. He fought against those big corrupt crony Republicans within his own party and the Democratic Party to push through legislation, executive orders, and lawsuits to break companies, to give regulation, to remember regulations to from the products the companies make, like the FDA, for instance. He also gave more power to the unions. These are all socialist things. But he's a Republican. He's a conservative. We should just strongly support capitalism. Why did he do that? This also goes with realpolitik. Communism was on the rise on, during the 1900s. American tension between the working class and the capitalists were insane back then. If we see in the election of 1896, if we just if the Republicans and the governments just went on a trajectory where they ignored the class, then let me tell you, America would have gone into the Romanov way, where they would be subject to a revolution if you do not listen to the working class's needs. But TR knew. That's bad. That is going to lead to a catastrophe, a revolutionary, violent situation that is going to be very, very bad. So he listened to the working class and showed the government representing them, them by being a trustbuster, by being a trustbuster and representing the working class interests. So like what and he he said a famous quote: "I am." Attacking capitalism to save capitalism. If he doesn't attack capitalism using these socialist principles like trust busting, communism or revolution would have been inevitable in replacing the current American government. So to save America from a revolution and communist takeover, he applied socialist principles in capitalism to make it healthier where it's just not monopolies running the whole capitalist system, but where small companies can also bring in, come enter the market to compete and compete and bring innovative, new innovative ideas and, and interests into the economy so that we, they can continue to grow, so that the country overall can grow. That is what realpolitik is about. And I realize I've been talking for about 30 minutes now and I think I'll close it here. I will give you more so I was giving you the conceptual kind of explanation of what realpolitik, neorealism, Machiavellian principles, which are the kind of the foundations of what I'm, how I'm going to approach domestic politics and international relations. So I'm going to talk about what in my next podcast why this matters, what what do these principles mean, why why should we care, and how am I how am I going to apply them in current international politics and domestic politics. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. I'll see you in the next episode.